0: this morning to the book of acts just anywhere for the moment in acts but i'd really planned uh, for the next four or five weeks uh, and i'd mentioned this last week that uh, there was certain messages that i wanted to hit the highlights in the book of acts and uh, uh, the lord's convinced me of otherwise and uh, Rather than to go in any detail, uh, let, me, let me say it like this. We're going to finish the thoughts on the book of Acts. We may come back to it at a later date. But for the next four or five weeks, if you have an unsaved friend, an unsaved neighbor, an unsaved relative, uh, please do what you can to get them in the service the next few weeks because uh, the, the messages are, are are going to be directed toward evangelism, and uh, and I, I hope and pray you'll bring someone. It might be someone that you know, maybe they think they're saved and they're not, but uh, during the course of this week praying about the messages, and and I, I thought, you know, Lord, I, I've kind of already got these already worked out. He said, I don't care what you've got worked out. I've got something else in mind, so... Eight years ago, believe it or not, and I just happened to have this, uh, a copy of this that was uh, somewhere in my drafts because it made an impression on me that uh, one of our teenagers posted on Facebook, these words says, I love Sundays. Now this is not some of us older folks, you know, uh, naturally I I expect we all love Sundays, but this is from a teenager. I love Sundays, and I don't remember who it was, but it thrilled my heart to think that, that a teenager actually loved Sundays and loved to worship the Lord. Because I love Sundays too, don't you? I think we certainly ought to. It's the best day of the week. Being with God's people, uh, where could you be any place better it's better than a jail, better than a hospital, it's better than a fish and drip, better than anywhere else, being with God's people and uh, and worshiping the Lord. That's what makes it so great. Being able to sing these old hymns and uh, and the new choruses and what have you that speak about the greatness of our God and His goodness and His love. And uh, uh, there's a lot more to just being able to rest on Sunday. As important as that is, by the way, I'm glad that because of Sunday and worshiping God, there's peace for our soul. We can find joy in our heart. Uh, It's a testimony to the world, and it's a good conscience toward God, knowing that I am where God wanted me to be. Every Christian ought to love Sundays. But then comes Monday, And wow, you know, what a drastic change that can be because you're no longer assembled with God's people. It's back to work, back to school, back to the struggles of life. And uh, here we are all lifted up for a day, and now it's back to the daily grind. And our friends are not at our side. The sweet songs of praise are drowned out by the moans and the groans of uh, of people on Monday morning and uh, we go through the day singing the Monday morning blues and Sunday we end up you know, making a firm resolve that, uh, that I'm going to put into practice what I've learned today from God's Word. But then on, when Monday comes, here comes the attack against us And every step we take throughout the week is in the face of oppositions. Our burdens keep growing heavier. We're longing for relief and just looking forward to the next Sunday. And uh, that's all well and good, but we overlook something really important. And that's the fact that God puts demands upon us every day of the week God is God not just on Sunday. God is God all week long. And He expects us to maintain our character. He expects us to attend to our duties, our responsibilities, whatever day it is, not just on Sunday. And we never have the right to desert our post just because you know, it's difficult or it's dangerous or whatever. Uh, we're never excused from our service to the Lord, uh, uh, never excused by way of compromising on things that are important. We're to love God, we're to deny self, we're to serve other people, we're to maintain a Christ like spirit regardless of what day of the week it is. Now, in one sense, what we do on Sunday, now listen carefully. There is a sense in which what we do on Sunday, weekdays rather, can be made more important than what we do on Sunday. I say that because God never intended for us to devote just one day of a week to Him. Whenever He speaks about being salt and light to the world, He's talking about us being an example to the world, combating decay, we're salt and then the bringing in light to a world that's steeped in the darkness of sin. And uh, sometimes the most effective sermon all week long that people will hear is not what they heard from the pulpit, not what they heard in the Sunday school class, but what they see in you as a Christian being lived out the rest of the week. And we ought to think of all ground as being holy ground. There's a tendency in all of us to, to be better on Sunday. Treat your wife better, your husband better, your kids better. It's Sunday. Can't afford to get in no big argument today. This is Sunday. We want to you know, put on our best Sunday go to meet and face. But uh, I want you to notice something that I noticed many, many years ago and it really impacted my heart and that's the number of times the word daily is used in the book of acts daily at least 8 times that i know of the word daily is used and that's no accident by the way and if if i was going to just sum it all up i could say that those instances has to do with daily seeking god's help daily serving the lord Daily showing kindness, daily searching the scriptures. That was just, you know, if I wanted to put them all in categories, but there's more to it than that. And uh, Christians today tend to look at Christianity like it's some addition to their lives. It's attached on to to the week, you see. We've got all week, we've got our Christianity is over here in a different section. It is attached. And they allot only so much of their time to God and that's why we often talk about Christianity becoming just nothing more than a than kind of a hobby to people it's something that's a social meeting it's something that you know that people enjoy they hear singing like this this morning and wow they enjoy that they go to Sunday school and they, they hear something maybe they've never heard before and they take delight in that and they see people that they know and people that they love and that that's all well and good but we just tend to give God the bits and the pieces, the leftovers of our life. Give him this day here, at least part of this day. Remember, it's the Lord's day. We, we've even chopped that up, don't we? It's the Lord's day. And we need to give reverence to the Lord throughout the day. And you say, well, yeah, but preacher, I can't always go and can't always, I understand that. Everybody gets in situations like that. But we can be at our best wherever we are, whether it's in the four walls of this church building or not, because every day matters to God. And uh, when we talk about this early church, and I'm going to read some of the verses in just a second. But you'll notice that they were meeting daily. They, in other words, they have an awareness that they are on a mission, and they are capitalizing on every opportunity. In chapter 2, verse 46, we read this last week, but notice it says, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. And then notice verse number 47, it said, praising God and having favor with all of the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, says you should be saved. So something's going on every day. There's witnessing taking place. The Word of God is being proclaimed. God's people are doing something. Now that does not mean that they stop plowing the field and planting the seeds and harvesting the crop. It doesn't mean that they didn't do the things that are essential for survival, the things that God expected of them. Work is a virtue. Work is exactly what God expects from people. It doesn't mean that you just camp out here at the church building all week. You know, we say, boy, I'm so devoted to the Lord, I just, I I rented a Sunday school room and I'm going to start living down there. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about us dedicating our days to God, whatever it is and wherever we are. So notice, continuing daily with one accord, that's a miracle in itself. And the Lord added to the church daily. Chapter 5, you don't need to turn to all of these unless you want to. Chapter 5, verse 42, he says, Daily in the temple and in every house they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Chapter 6 and verse 1, he speaks about the daily administration. Uh, That is the service that is being rendered and the need of the widows and so forth. And that was going on daily It's not like, you know, we're going to set aside one day of the month to help the widows out. It's something they were doing every single day. In verse number 5 of chapter 16, And so were the churches established in the faith, notice, and increased in number daily. So remember, this is in addition to what we've already read. They are still increasing in number every day. Chapter 17, verse 11, speaking about the Bereans and that they searched the Scriptures daily. Chapter 17 and verse 17, Paul disputed in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. And then in chapter 9, 19, verse 9, it says Paul disputed daily in the school of Tyrannius. Now that's dedication. That's the kind of dedication that we need today and we have no excuse for failure. Sometimes the most important thing that we do all week is what we do after we leave the building and after you go to school or after you go to work. You stop and think about it because I know the wheels are turning and you're thinking, Preacher, if you knew how much I've got to do. I mean, I've got so many things to do, I can't get to all of them. I understand that. But there is a sense in which we have more time to serve God than they did. We have all of these modern day conveniences, you know, that frees us up from so many time-consuming chores. Now we've got microwave ovens. We, we don't have to get in a horse and a buggy or something and uh, go 10 miles down the road to attend the service. We get in our car and take off and we're there in no time. And so in a lot of ways, it's a lot easier for us to do the things that we should. And the truth of the matter, it is that we always have the time to do those things that we feel are the most important. And you, you, know, you might uh, be here today and say, well, preacher, there are things that I want to do that I can't do. I, and I understand that. God understands that. If God wanted you to do it, God would enable you to do it. A lot of times people feel guilty because they can't do something, and believe me, I've been there, done that, feeling guilty because I, I want to do this, and it's something that needs to be done. Somebody needs to do it, and I, you know I want to do it, but I, I can't do it, and I feel so guilty about it. But listen, if God, if God expected you to do it, He would enable you to do that. What God wants is your availability. He's not looking at your ability. He wants you to offer yourself to be used in whatever way that he considers to be in his best interest. And we need to realize that living for God includes absolutely everything that we do. Luke chapter 9, verse 43 speaks about, the in one instance here, the demands of discipleship. And he, that is Jesus, and he said to them all, if any man will come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You know, evidently there are some folks that think that the demands of discipleship are unreasonable because they totally ignore that. Let him take up his cross, notice, daily and follow me. And you look at those other instances where the demands of discipleship are laid out before us. And the Lord never said that serving Him was going to be fun and easy. It's difficult. And it's not unreasonable. The only reason that you would think it's unreasonable is that you forgot what Jesus did for you. When He suffered and bled and died on that cross. He Gave the very best that heaven had to offer. He did what nobody else could do. He paid our sin debt. And so when the Bible says, as Paul did, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's not unreasonable at all. And he goes on, he says, which is your reasonable service. You know, doing less than our best is shameful. Can you imagine some ball player, football, baseball, whatever it is, being paid millions of dollars a year to go out there and play a kid's game? Strange world that we live in, isn't it? But that's exactly what happens. They go out there and run up and down the field with a bag of zipped up air and You know, and they win the Super Bowl and they got their trophy and uh, something that in a few years they're not going to care anything about whatsoever. But they've got all of this money and all of this popularity and all of these things that they think is going to bring them pleasure. But can you imagine someone doing that and being, let's say, the center fielder? And here's a pop-up. Easy catch. Easy catch. And he just stands there and watches it fall to the ground. Whenever the manager jumps on him about it, he says, well, you know, I I, I was thinking about something else that was more important. Wait a minute, you're being paid millions of dollars to play ball, to catch that ball, to do your very best. You're under obligation because you're under contract. Boy, whenever you think about the covenant that God made with us, Based on the blood that was shed, and then we turn around and do as those Jews did in Malachi chapter one, where they just gave him the leftovers. This is the part of our life, you know, that we don't want, we don't care anything about. We, we give that to God, and that's what we're often guilty of. Every one of us needs to resolve in our heart to walk with God daily, and I'm going to give you four reasons. Number one. It proves sincerity. In Acts chapter number 4, we're told here that Peter and John are preaching. They heal the lame man. Now you'd think, okay, that's, that's awesome news. Well, wait a minute. They heal the lame man and they got arrested. You're not always rewarded by the world for the good things you do here. They heal the man, they get arrested. Here's the good news. About 5,000 believed. You know, there might have been a moment there, they're thinking as they're preaching, and, and they work a miracle that God enabled them to do, and they're thinking, you know, I, I, I don't know. If, I just don't know. Could we be doing something better in a different way? Uh, nothing's happened. And we preachers tend to do that. We think if nothing happens, you know, whenever the message is over right here in the building, we think, oh, nothing's ever going to come of that. I don't know how many minutes, how many hours was involved, but 5,000 people were saved. Wow, 3,000 on the day of Pentecost, and this is a short time later, 5,000. So we're up over, over 8,000 now, and a bit later on you'll see it talks about that they were souls multiplied. We go from addition to multiplication. And so this church is growing by leaps and bounds. Notice verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Jesus that's why I say that whenever we live out everyday Christianity it proves our sincerity they were living this out every day and these other onlookers they're watching them and took knowledge said you know they're ignorant they're unlearned men they're not educated you know and why would anybody listen to them why would anybody follow them around you know and they took knowledge that I know, they've been with Jesus. They saw something of Jesus in these men. And one of the biggest obstacles in trying to win souls is the evident lack of sincerity in our life. And that's what results in others calling us hypocrites. Because they can can see right through us and they see that we're not as sincere as uh, we claim we are. People are never impressed impressed by what we do just occasionally. You know, just do it occasionally, one time a week or one time a month or whatever. Boy, they are impressed whenever they see what we do on a regular basis. And especially in the face of difficult circumstances And the point is that God expects us to act a certain way whether we are at church or whether we're out there in the world on the job or wherever we are. And it's what we do in the common places of life that make the greatest impression. And whenever we demonstrate our devotion to the Lord, people take notice. Young people, do your classmates... Do they know you're a Christian? Do, do your co-workers know you're a Christian, your neighbors? Do they know you're a Christian? Would they be surprised if I knocked on the door and and uh, told them that you are a Christian, that you've claimed to be a Christian and you were baptized and you're a member of the church? I'll never forget years ago. I was talking to someone that was associated with a certain company, and uh, they brought up, a, 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 some person's name got involved, this church member, and, uh, and, I, and I, I said something about, well, they're a member of our church. And their response was <laughs> kind of like that. Uh, you mean they're a Christian? I won't even use the he or she, but attends church every week? Really? Total shock. And that's because on the job, away from the church and away from others, that person lived one way. But at the church... People saw an entirely different kind of person. and That is so offensive. And I'm telling you, it's so very important that we as Christians, as we try to win people, so many times we think that I can win them by my, my not great knowledge of the Bible. And so we sit them down and we lecture them and we go through all of the points of salvation and with a self-righteous attitude, and don't get anywhere. And, and we wonder why is it that we have such a hard time reaching the world, and we, uh, we wonder why why can't we impact their lives? And it's when they see a lack of sincerity. I mean, I I, I come across something that I'd been looking for for a long time and if I can read it it's in small print but this is something that I read and used in some messages over 50 years ago and if I'm not mistaken this is something that Billy Graham read during a, a, one of his meetings and it has to do with the, with the radicals. It said the radical Worldings often put us to shame. Now, listen, this is a letter from a radical youth to his girlfriend. They're breaking up. We radicals have a high casualty rate. We're the ones who get uh, shot and hung, tarred and feathered and jailed, slandered and ridiculed, and fired from our jobs and every other way made as uncomfortable as possible. A certain percentage of us get killed like radicals. uh, We radicals don't have time for movies and concerts. We've been described as fanatics. We are. Our lives are dominated by one great overshadowing factor, the struggle for revolution. We radicals have a philosophy of life which no amount of money can buy. We have a cause to fight for. A definite purpose in life and we subordinate our own petty personal selves into a great movement of humanity. And if our personal lives seem hard or our egos appear to suffer through subordination to the cause then we are adequately compensated by the thought that each of us in his small way is helping to do something to make a better world there's one thing about which I am in dead earnest, and that is the radical cause. It is my life, my business, my religion, my hobby, my sweetheart, my wife, my mystery, my bread, my meat. I work at it in the daytime, and I dream of it at night. Its hold on me grows, not lessens, as time goes by, Therefore, I cannot carry on a friendship, a love affair, or even a conversation without relating to this force which both drives and guides my life. I evaluate people, books, ideas, actions according to how they affect the radical causes and by their attitude toward it. I've already been in jail because of my ideas, and if necessary, I'm ready to go before a firing squad." You know, sometimes we see people doing things that are so radical, so crazy, so insane that we wonder how could anyone follow somebody like that? How could anyone do that? And it's because even though the person is totally wrong in their beliefs, when they see the depth of their sincerity all of a sudden their attitude toward that person changes. Some of you are old enough to remember what was known as the Jesus people. Not the ones in the Bible, the ones in California years ago. The Jesus people. And I often thought, how in the world can people born here in America with churches on every corner how could anybody get so mixed up into a movement like that? I, I just, I don't understand it. Why aren't the preachers preaching about it? And I didn't understand it. Until one time I was in a conference in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And lo and behold, there was some Jesus people there. And by the way, they didn't have everything as wrong as we think they did. But there was one thing for certain that you did not have to doubt when you were around them for a while, and that was their sincerity. They might have been wrong about some of the details of the Bible. That's true. But nobody had to to doubt their sincerity. And that's why that movement grew by leaps and bounds It was unbelievable that they could affect so many people as they did. We look at all of the different cultures in the world today and we wonder how could anyone join up with a bunch like that. It's because people admire the sincerity that they see in those people even though they're wrong. There's something about that that challenge there. Not only does it prove sincerity, it perfects our weakness. And by the way, we all have certain weaknesses, don't we? All of us. Me, you, we don't do anything perfectly. I've never preached a perfect sermon. I've never done anything that was perfect. We're all imperfect, and here we are in a world, a sinful world, trying to serve a gracious God, and we're stumbling about, as it were, trying to do our very best. And let me tell you, regardless of what we're doing, we always do it better if we do it regularly. What good would it do? You say, well, I'm, I'm going to start an exercise program. Oh, by the way, I did, really. Really? I started walking a couple of weeks ago. Got a spot down the road, it's a quarter of a mile. I walked down there, I sat down on the no trespassing sign, <laughs> get rested up, drink some of my water, head back. I started it. But boy, it's either, it's either raining or it's hot. I, it's really easy to find excuses. And I have been keeping up with it very good. And, and the, the thing of it is, it, just exercising never once a week, maybe that's not going to do you any good. That's all you're going to do is end up pulling a muscle. You say, well, I'm going to start lifting some weights or I'm going to start jogging. You'll do more harm if you do that just one time a week. But when you do it every day, all of a sudden you'll see some profit from those exercises now, I haven't lost thought of where I'm at here this morning, and I'm saying we all have certain weaknesses that keep us from doing something as good as other people in the church. And let me tell you, your lack of talent might be apparent to everybody else. If I decided, I, okay, I'm going to sing this special this morning, and I'll, it wouldn't take you very long to realize I can't sing as good as anybody else, really. But, but I, I, I can't sing like Kathy can or Willie or the, some of the rest of you. I, I, I can't do that. But if your daily devotion to Christ impresses people more than someone who has just a part-time interest in serving God, it'll have more of an impact for the cause of Christ. So I say, you know, the greatest preachers and the greatest singers are not usually those with the most talent. I find a lot of people, you know, sing better than so-and-so, and but boy, I tell you, you know it whenever someone has their heart in it, and they're not doing it for personal gain, they're not doing it for applause, they're doing it because they love Jesus, and they want to glorify God, and, and that's what I'm saying, you don't... You don't have to say everything just right. You don't have to be perfect in what you do. Your sincerity, your devotion to serving God seven days a week, wherever you are, that has a way of making your witness effective because they take note of your sincerity. And whenever they do that, then that opens the door for you to share with them the Word of God. Thirdly, living everyday Christianity produces success. Go back to chapter 2 again, and let's start in verse number 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. You know I I I, I look at that and immediately it tells me that it wasn't all about the apostles. We're talking about what the church did, not just not just Peter and John and the others. we're talking about the church ministry being involved. the whole church is involved. They were all filled with the Spirit. They were all involved in doing these things. And as you look at some of those things, it might be uh, you might think a little thing. Oh we look at the day of Pentecost and it was Peter. he preached that sermon. And we're kind of tempted to attribute the success to Peter. What a great sermon. No wonder 3,000 were saved. Had nothing to do with his ability at all. It had to do with his dedication to the Lord and willingness to be used of God. And it was God that took his feeble effort and made something great out of it. Whatever you're doing for God is important whatever it is you don't have to be a preacher a pastor a missionary a deacon or an officer to do important things for God whatever you're doing it's the little things that make the biggest difference we had a fellow whenever I was a pastor there in Missouri and I've told the story this is the same guy by the way that got upset one day he'd uh, I don't even know what I'd preach, but he got upset. And boy, I was standing back by the door and I could see him coming down the aisle and I knew something was wrong because he had taken off his shoes and his shirt and he was red in the face and squaring up to attack me. And you got to understand, this guy had been severely injured in, in Korea and, and uh, had some brain damage. And... Uh, wonderful but it shocked me that he was so offended that he did that's totally out of character he misunderstood something i said and he wanted to fight about it you say well, why are you making mention of him i'm making mention of him because of the little things he did like if you had asked any kid in that church who's your favorite who's your favorite person but believe me, whenever normally he was in his right mind and able to teach and witness to people, and he did, handed out tracts. But it was that those kids knew every week Brother Lee McDaniel's going to be out there with candy for the kids. And not only that, he had a great talent for carving stuff out of wood. He'd carved these little wood things and and give them to the to the children made a great impact on our young people. You know, Helen Keller didn't have it all together when it came to spiritual things, but I love something she said many years ago. She said, I long to accomplish a great and noble task, but it's my chief duty to to accomplish humble tasks as though they were great and noble. The world is moved along not only by the mighty shoves of its heroes, but also by the aggregate of the tiny pushes of each honest worker. That's the way it ought to be in the church. It's not, you know, people look at the church and it's growing and growing and prospering and they have a tendency to say, oh, that's Brother So-and-So's church, you know. Oh, he's a great preacher and that's why it's happening there. Churches grow because the people, the people are involved not not about me, it's not about Brother Kenneth, it never has been. We, do, we just we just we just got a part to play in it. Lastly, and most importantly, is the fact that whenever we live out an everyday Christianity, it pleases God. That's the number one reason, and really that ought to be the only reason that we need Amen. to know that what I'm doing is pleasing to God because. You know, how we live reveals what we consider to be most important. And when we look at these Christians in the book of Acts, it's obvious that they wouldn't allow anything to stop them, throw them in jail, beat them, threaten them with death, whatever. And they refused to let anything stop them. They even bickered amongst themselves for a moment. But they come up with a solution Nowadays, somebody would have said, well, I don't like what old so-and-so did. I don't like this or that, and I'm I'm going to look for another church. Well, back then, you'd have a hard time finding another one. The greatest hindrance to Christianity is man's obsession with self. One woman wrote a book, and the whole book is about loving, having. the title of it is Having a Love Affair With Yourself. And throughout the book, she talks about loving yourself, affirming yourself, accepting yourself, asserting yourself, forgiving yourself, believing in yourself. That's the biggest bunch of nonsense that you can imagine. You see, that's the very problem that she's identifying. That's not the solution. That's the problem. It's exactly the opposite of what the Bible teaches. I read many years ago a statement by A.B. Bruce in his famous book, The Training of the Twelve. And he said, the whole aim of satanic policy is to get self-interest recognized as the chief end of man. And I thought, wow, that... That hits the nail on the head. That is exactly right. That is the root of all of man's problems, is that we want to get ourselves recognized as the chief end of man. It's all about me and it's all for me and so forth. And the solution is for us to be an everyday follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to do more than just sing Every Day with Jesus on Sunday. Anybody can sing that on Sunday. But We need to think about ourselves as serving the Lord every day of the week, and uh, you know it kind of bothers me when I hear people talk and preachers especially and talk about, well, I'm I'm in the full time ministry now. What? Oh, I'm in full time ministry. Yeah, a church called me the other day and they uh, put me on a salary and let me live in the parsonage. I'm in the full time ministry. I feel like saying, you know, if you haven't been in the full-time ministry since the day you got saved, you have no business trying to pastor a church. Amen. Every Christian ought to be in the full-time ministry. We all ought to be serving God in some way. We do different things. That's understandable. You say, yeah, but preacher, I, I just, you know, I, I, I think I think you're just going overboard with this stuff. and, uh, And there are people that think like that you need to understand that there's more to the Christian life than just going to heaven. The Bible says over in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul, for we must all, speaking of Christians now, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You see, the unsaved, they're judged at the great white throne judgment, but this is the judgment of the believers. And every believer is going to be there. That everyone may receive the things done in the flesh according to that he hath done. Isn't that good? God promised we're going to be rewarded for the things that we've done. That is awesome. The one thing above everything else I long for is to be able to hear him say in that day, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's all the reward I'm looking for. I just know that what I did pleased the Lord. But wait a minute, there's more to that verse. According to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. We are going to be rewarded in that day according to what we've done here on this earth. And I don't know about you, but I want to finish up like Paul did, and have his attitude. I've fought the fight, I've kept the faith, Yeah, I'm ready, I'm I'm ready to go. You know, the race has been run, the fight is over, and I'm ready to go. Over in Acts chapter number 20, and I'll close with this, verse 22. Paul is headed toward Jerusalem, but he wanted, first of all, to to stop by and uh, see those dear saints at Ephesus. He called out to them. They come down to the shore. He says in verse 22, And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save except that the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. And believe me, they begged him and pleaded with him not to go. Said, Paul, you're not going to like it when you get there. And notice Paul's response, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course. Notice, with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Boy, that ought to be the attitude of each and every one of us. That's like saying, by the grace of God, I'm not going to let anything stop me from doing the will of God. I'm in this for the long haul. I'm going to keep at it as long as I possibly can. Maybe today you've become... A part-time Christian. Uh, maybe you've become one of those that takes Christianity serious only one day a week. All oh, you listen to the Christian radio station maybe during the week, but I'm talking about doing those things that contribute to the ministry of the church and the Lord's work in some way. And if you're here today and you've just kind of put that on the back burner and uh, you're satisfied with just being a Sunday go-to-meeting Christian? Maybe you ought to, maybe you ought to ask God to help you see what's wrong with that. Maybe you just want to come and say, Lord, I, look, I didn't, I didn't intend for it to get like this. It wasn't like this when I first got saved. I was so excited, I wanted to be in every service. I wanted to tell everybody, people I worked with, people I come in contact with, and now some way somehow, I've just, well, I've just. Got in a backslidden state and can't seem to get out of it. Well, you can get out of it today. You can get out of that rut right here this morning. If we confess our sins and forsake them, there's good things to come. And if we don't, we invite disaster in our life. And if you're here today and you're not saved, you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you understand that, Do you understand the challenge that each one of these Christians faces to dedicate their lives entirely to the cause of Christ? You know why they do that? And believe me, we've got folks right here that I can call their names and that they're those kind of people. They're not just Sunday go to meeting Christians, they're everyday Christians. You know why they do that? Because they're concerned about people like you, people that are unsaved. They'd have been a whole lot better if God take, just took them home the day they got saved. You wouldn't have had that arthritis and rheumatism and cancer and heart disease. It wouldn't have had all those problems. Lord, just save them and say, well, right now, I'm just going to take you home. You know why we're here? The only reason God leaves us here is that we might in some way, somehow, play a part in the ministry of trying to reach unsaved people like you are. Amen. So anytime you get to thinking I'm not a Christian, but nobody cares anyway. Let me tell you, there are folks that care. They care deeply. And Jesus cares the most because he died for you. And if you'll trust him this morning, he'll save your soul. Forgive all of your sins and make you a child of God. Would you do that as we stand together during this invitation? You see... We sing this this invitation hymn this morning and you examine your heart. Father, forgive us of the times that we just, even maybe unintentionally, just neglect to do things that are so very important. Things that are important in your eyes. Lord, help us to do our best at whatever it is that we're doing Help us, Heavenly Father, to understand that there are a lot of folks that want to do their best and would do their best and, and are trying, and yet they're just overwhelmed by difficulties and problems. And, and They're carrying a heavy load and feel like, I just can't do any more. I pray that you'll bring a special peace and comfort to their heart and help them to realize they don't have to carry the load all alone that you've told us to cast our burdens upon you. And then, Lord, for the person here today or someone watching the broadcast that's never really trusted Christ as their Savior, I pray that this might be the very day that they would put their faith in Him and trust Him and know that they have the assurance of heaven.